Knack knack. Who's there? Uh, yeah, I'd rather not share that with you. Hey, no sweat. Come on in. Make yourself at home and take anything you want. Wait, you wouldn't let a stranger in your house. Why would you let anonymous traffic scrape your website? Introducing IP Info's Privacy Detection API, a fast and simple way to detect malicious traffic. Activate your free trial today at ipinfo.io. And don't forget to use the promo code CODESTORY at checkout. So we were coming from this B2C world of building a a video tool. And if something went wrong, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, obviously, it's not the best case scenario. But when we started dealing with other companies' subscription and billing data, this isn't an all the case. You know, the margin for error is, is practically zero. So even though it was an MVP, our top priorities were making sure that the cancel flow experience for the end user was first class and, and that there weren't going to be any billing or subscription bugs whatsoever. So a lot of the time on our before release was just spent vetting this, making sure this was 100%. My name is Rob Moore, and I'm the CTO at Churnkey. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Rob Moore built a SaaS platform for customer retention so you can fix every type of churn. All this and more on Code Story. Rob Moore was previously on the Code Story podcast back in season two when he was building Flume, a marketplace built to make monetizing SaaS products easier. Three years ago, he moved to London with his now wife as they got married a few months ago. He enjoys studying philosophy and how people think, and he tends to find good insight from Seneca. He applies a lot of his learnings to his personal life, but also to his startup ventures. Rob previously built a product called Wave. When their customer acquisition couldn't keep up with churn, they started building tools to help them figure out what was going on. They focused on a cancellation flow and spent six months perfecting a tool that helped them fix their churn problem. This is the creation story of Churnkey. Currently, I'm the CTO of Churnkey. It's a product designed to help people build healthier subscription businesses and improve customer retention across the board. Interestingly, the origin story of Churnkey, it started with our previous product, which was called Wave, a podcast marketing tool. Uh, You've probably seen this where podcasters could turn their audio into audiograms, which are basically quick videos with waveform animations, which are good for sharing on social. Wave was a prosumer product. Price point was around $10, $15 a month. And we worked on it for three to four years, growing it until we hit a growth ceiling because our new growth couldn't keep up with our customer churn. We actually ended up hiring an outside agency to help us. And we spent like, it was like 20 or 25K on this um, to figure out better onboarding, better reactivation, and it didn't really move the needle. You've probably heard of engineering as marketing, but we kind of turned to engineering as retention. And we built out a bunch of internal tools to help us get to the the bottom of this and help us to solve this retention problem that we had. The first thing that we did was, and, and most effective to date, was building out a cancel flow, which A, figured out why people were canceling, so we have actual feedback, and then would offer them point of cancellation offers, uh, whether that's a temporary subscription discount, a pause, or priority tech support. 
To be honest, like I think uh, myself and Nick Vogel, who's now at uh, Cherokee with me, we were kind of not necessarily pessimistic, but we didn't have a ton of expectations for, for what we could do here. To be honest, it blew away our expectations. Um, we started to see cancellation in not such a black and white manner. Um, there's a lot, there's this huge gray area where customers might still want to use the product, but it either wasn't the right time or they couldn't justify paying the full amount. So we spent six months or so of our dev cycles at Wave obsessing about this, uh, optimizing it, building out analytics, and it ended up making a huge impact on our business. We blew through the growth ceiling. And, you know, while keeping existing customers is a lot less fun than getting new ones, it's an order of magnitude cheaper. So it really helped from the business standpoint. And we ended up growing Wave to about $2 million annual run rate. And then we sold it in March of 2021 so that we could focus full-time on productizing what was then our internal tool into the churn key, which everyone can now use today. So tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Yeah, so the MVP was, again, interestingly, it was an internal tool at first, which we spent six months, but it wasn't full-time on it. So it probably would have been about three months of full-time work to build that internal tool. And then after we sold Wave, we spent another three months before we productized it for other companies to use. You know, you've got this one instance you need to turn into many instances of who anyone can use. So we were coming from this B2C world of building a a video tool and if something went wrong it wasn't that big of a deal like obviously it's not the best case scenario but when we started dealing with other companies subscription and billing data this isn't in all the case you know the margin for error is is practically zero so even though it was an mvp our top priorities were making sure that the cancel flow experience for the end user was first class and, and that there weren't going to be any billing or subscription bugs whatsoever. So a lot of the time on our before release was just spent vetting this, making sure this was 100%. Interestingly for a product like Chernkey, a lot of the competition, if we're if a company is evaluating whether or not to use us, is actually whether or not they're gonna build it in-house versus use a product like Chernkey. While we could launch with an MVP, we wanted to do something that was you know, significantly better than what somebody could do in-house in a couple of weeks. So I hear in that you want to, you know, build something that could be better than someone could do in-house in a, in, in a couple of weeks. I hear that. And there's probably more decisions and trade-offs you had to make around, you know, how you approach building this first product and feature cut and technical debt and all those things. So tell me about some of those you had to work through in a little more detail and how you coped with those decisions. The main thing we cut back on was our total addressable market. We got requests almost immediately for building integrations with other payment providers besides Stripe. And we pushed those off until we knew our products could be a delightful experience end-to-end for Stripe companies. Um, so it actually ended up being over a year before we built out other integrations with Chargebee, Paddle, uh, Braintree. So that was the main one that we cut back on, and that helped a lot with getting a good MVP out. The other one we cut back on was on the analytics side. I love data analytics and I was super excited, chomping at the bit to dig into this, especially across all these new companies and I wanted to see what those analytics look like. But it wasn't the priority, right? So if people can start to use Chernkey without the almost over the top segmented slice and dice analytics that we have today, um, it was fine. They were able to export the data um, and do that on 
Excel or Google Sheets or wherever else. So the main two places we cut back were with integrating with other payment providers and dashboard analytics. Okay, so then from that point, how did you progress the product and mature it? And I think what I'm curious is how you built your roadmap and you know how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Chernkey. As a bootstrap company, the features that we've built basically have to have some short-term return on investment. So what we did with Wave and now what we did, um, what we're doing with Chernkey is that we aggregate all the features that we want to build and we put them in a notion table and we talk about them and we talk through all of them and we score them for their level of effort to build and how much ROI potential it has. And ROI here is, you know, there's a number of factors going into it, including increasing the addressable market or helping funnel conversion numbers or introducing expansion revenue. And we try to balance those out if we feel like we're missing out on some part of that. For instance, after about a year or so, we said, okay, sales are starting to slow down. Let's bump up the addressable market. Um, So we turned to focus more on that. So it's been largely ROI driven, which has its benefits and its drawbacks. Um, I think it helps you to make sure that you are not building anything, you know, extraneous. But also there are some things in the past where it would have been nice to put resources into something for a longer term build, but we wanted to get something out the door, kick the can down the road, so to speak, but not in a way that was uh, detrimental to our current product, just in a way that, you know, we had to adjust priorities to a shorter term cycle. Okay, so tell me about your team. How big is your team right now, Rob? So there are three full-time founders. Besides that, we rely mostly on contractors. So we have contracted out uh, developers or we have contracted out some sales and marketing help at times in addition to that. So with those folks, either the founding team or the you know the contract team, you know, you got to look for certain traits that are going to work with what you're trying to build, right? What did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? With contractors, you know, it can be a mixed bag. There have been times when the experience has been pretty negative uh, if you don't find the right people. I would say the things that we look at most is, first and foremost, we want people to be independent builders and make the day-to-day decisions that go into building tech. Secondly, which is related in a sense, is that we want them to be interested in the product. Like this is a customer retention product. It's It's not the most inciting thing in the world and we're not oblivious to that we're building it so that other people don't have to go through this, right? So um, what we find is that if people are independent and interested in the product, what we can do then is we can put them into the fold with talking to them about the product vision um, so that they get excited about the product and so that they can then better make those decisions, right? If they understand the why behind why we're building everything, um, everything else has fallen into place for us. With Shrinky, we've had a really good experience with our contracted developers. Any negative experience has come from needing to deal kind of piecework with contractors and break things into very small tasks. Um, And there's been a lot of back and forth, but uh, what we've done differently with Chernkey is just making sure they are included in all of the talks about how we want to scale and where we see the company going long-term and just make sure that they are, even if the contractors shared with us in their own product vision. 
So let's flip to scalability then. And given your your answer around MVP, I kind of know where you're going to go with this, but I'm going to ask it generically. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? In most ways, it was built to scale from day one. And I don't mean that in the way that it was over-engineered. It was just that nothing was going to break on like the end user experience, right? So nobody would be going through a cancel flow mid-survey and then all of a sudden our server crashes. So we needed to make sure that was done properly, but it wasn't built to scale in a lot of other ways. Like as a uh, founder in a small team, you need to know where, I think it's really important to know where you can cut back. So things like the dashboard analytics, right? Those were not built in a scalable way to launch, right? So we actually had Like I was mentioning earlier, we relied on people to export their data to Google Sheets if they wanted to work on it. So we didn't have all of the scaled uh, advanced querying that we do today. For us, it's always been important that things don't break, that there's no server crashes, but there were in the sense that things could be put off and kind of maybe take a a small hit on the admin user experience versus the end customer user experience. Um, We've used that to help us as we grow. Rob, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Turnkey, what what are you most proud of? We're definitely not on the balcony stage yet, um, I think is important to note. Um, I am really excited about where we're going with it. We've built something that we're all definitely proud of. Every time we release a new feature, we want it to be something we're proud of. And I'm not someone who is going to hop on social media and share what I'm building unless I really enjoy what it is and I think it's going to be a great experience to use. What I'm most proud about for our team is everything is so thoughtfully done. From marketing emails to the end customer experience to the analytics, just from a from a pure engineering and product standpoint, I'm incredibly proud of what we've built with Sharnkey. Let's flip the script a little bit. And you know how I like to do this. Tell me, tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, we've definitely made mistakes. Uh, learned to view them as learning experiences, which is, I mean, it's easier said than done as a founder, right? You're so attached to your product and what you're building. It's hard to recognize some of these mistakes. I would say a mistake that we've made was committing too much time to engineering as marketing. As a small company, we're looking for these almost growth hacks, right? We're saying, okay, if we can build this, it's going to be, it's it's just going to flood the site with new users. And what we found is you can build these really cool tools. Like we did a a churn audit tool um, so people could connect their Stripe account and get, you know, an automated report of their churn data and hopefully some interesting insights. But that doesn't just flip things overnight. Even if it's engineering as marketing, you still need a ton of marketing to go into it, to drive people to it. So I think looking for these silver bullet type solutions, especially in early days, is it can be really appealing, but in large part, it can be a distraction. This will be fun. You guys are early. Tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team. We've been really lucky in that so far our roadmap has had a really tight confidence interval on it. Like we've always been reasonably confident in what we're going to build. And I'm really excited about where this is going. A little background on the product. We have cancel flows where users go through and you collect why they're canceling. You can potentially give them an offer to stick around. We've recently released failed payment recovery. So this is called dunning a lot of times. If a credit card needs to be updated, we can automate the emails that are sent out on your behalf. 
give customers a really seamless experience to update their credit card and get that subscription active again. Where we're headed for the foreseeable future is where I'm most excited. It's a dive into the complete customer life cycle. So there are, on the market, there's a lot of you know customer analytics tools that are, some of them very good. And most of them start with event tracking. You can add billing data to that to augment customer data tracking. But we've started at the opposite side, right? We started at the end of the customer life cycle and we're moving back up it. So we have all of this billing data, we have subscription data, we have data about why people are leaving your product. We're gonna combine this with event tracking data and key value metric tracking. There's a ton we can do with this and I'm so excited about it. Things like uh, churn prediction or reactivation or figuring out trial conversion funnels and where the best moments within the customer lifecycle. We've been internally dubbing this like project happy customer where we are combining all of this interesting subscription data with now the data which is specific to different companies um, and their customers. Okay, Rob, you've answered this before, but I'm curious if if it has changed over the, the few years since we've chatted, but who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or, you know, something you look up to and why. So something we have actually all come to as a team um, is to adopt some of these practices, and this is going to sound overly dramatic, but to adopt some practices from uh, some of these ex-Navy SEALs, like in particular, uh, Jocko Willink, who's got a podcast, ex-Navy SEAL, he's got this book, Extreme Ownership. And again, he, I mean him himself, he said he would rename the book if possible. But they have really good practices for building a successful team. And as we are a small team with some contractors, and we're going up against some of the, the larger companies within the SaaS industry, we need to figure out how we can most be effective and, and deploy our resources in order to compete with these giants. So what we found within their approach, kind of this a culture where we're not going to blame each other if something goes wrong, right? So just last week, we had a bit of an engineering faff. We're all happy to accept our own roles in it. You know, this, it's it's hardly ever as a, as a one person to blame for something going wrong. So what we found in that is as founders adopting that kind of method and that mindset, it carries on to everyone else you're working with, whether that's that's contractors or even uh, customers that you're working with. So we have found that to be super helpful and all of us just kind of adopting that. Okay, so we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. And specifically with Turnkey, if you could go back to the beginning, you mentioned engineering, but this is a little different. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Yeah, I want to be real here. We have a lot of billing data and we're using MongoDB for it, um, which is a, a NoSQL, a non-relational database. I would have put that in a SQL database for faster querying and the built-in capabilities there. And then on the tech side, I would have also, uh, we're using TypeScript in view on the front end, and we're just using Node.js, non-TypeScript on the back end. I would have flipped those. So I would have used TypeScript on the back end and not TypeScript on the front end. I think that's interesting to note in itself even because these are decisions that people agonize over that I thought about for a lot for a long time um, and I will happily admit that I made the wrong choice like day to day those bad choices have very little influence on what we do and what we can do um, if it slows down tech development it's by a small margin compared to you know the the grander scale so you do have leeway and you can make some of these decisions. You can make the wrong decision. I think the 
general tech environments that we work with today. I mean, Mongo versus uh, Postgres, they are built structurally differently, but the API that we end up dealing with is similar in a lot of ways, right? So you've got Mongo aggregation pipelines versus SQL queries, but you can do a lot of the same things with them. So I ended up, you know, now I can I can write a, a Mongo aggregation pipeline with about the same fluency that I could write SQL with. So even though these are big decisions um, and ones that we'd like to think about and try to project into the future and try to make the right decision, it's okay if we don't make the right decision on them. Well, last question, Rob. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit multiple times? So I think in generally, and this is just human nature, if somebody is, is building the next big thing, it's difficult to give them any advice that they would listen to, right? So, and I, I don't say that in a bad way. I say that in a very human way. When we think we're doing the right thing and things are going well, it's difficult to listen to advice. And I, again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good to have this confidence within you. And something that I've come to realize myself is I used to find, you know, excessive confidence in people. I think most of us find it a bit off-putting. It's something that I kind of enjoy in people now, and that's is weird to say for me, but it's something where if somebody is, is very sure in themselves and what they're doing, I think it helps now, especially as, you know, there's so much social media influence in everything you share. I think it helps to build a bit of a, of a, of a tough skin, uh, so to speak, where you can hear these outside voices and, and not let them necessarily impact uh, what you're doing day to day. Fantastic. Well, Rob, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Chernkey. Thanks, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.